Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, arise. It's just like... John is cast into prison. Now Jesus arise. And so this is God's call to pass a baton. Okay, now, when you read in verse 12 that John is cast into prison, it's the end of John's ministry. It's over. But verse 12 is important for us as we look at our lives when it says John was cast into prison because we realize that, you know, somehow back in our mind we realize, you know, disability and death, it's gonna come to everyone and I'm included. But we kind of push it out of our minds that it's going to come to us. You know, this was brought home to me last week when I sat down with Joseph, my son, and I. We sat down with a neighbor. He's 80 years old. Now, this person has been a rancher in Idaho with thousands of acres of land, off the grid, no electricity, and he's, you know, done everything and made this whole thing successful. He's a real, real uh, done-it type person. And now, you know, he, he's living on the coast. He's got a fishing boat. He's got an ATV. And as we're talking, Joseph and I are talking with him, he's telling us how he can't go out on his boat anymore because it bangs around too much. He, you know, even if he has somebody to do all the captain work and everything, he can't use his ATV anymore, and his house is up for sale. And so here's an 80-year-old. I was kind of sort of stood back and I was watching Joseph talk with him and I think to myself, here's an 80-year-old speaking to a 45-year-old, <laughs> okay? And so after he left, I asked Joseph, I said, so well, what'd you think? What'd you think of the conversation? And Joseph said it was interesting to him to listen to a person and observe how he was transitioning from being able to do everything to being able to do very little now, and when we read the verse in verse 12, when it says John was cast into prison, we realize that John was never going to come out of prison alive. It caused us to realize that, that John's ministry was over. And so it, it kind of leads us into understanding that we have a very limited time on earth to do the work of God. It reminds me of the history that the Lord Jesus told in Luke 16. In Luke 16, 1, he said, he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him, and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So here's the steward. He's got responsibility over the business of the, of the rich man. And then he's, because he's accused, the rich man calls him in. He demands him to give, a, you know, give, an, give an explanation of what happened. And then the steward hears at the end this most terrifying words in Luke 16, 2, where, where he's told, thou mayest be no longer steward. 
And we can imagine the steward thinking to himself, but, but I thought I was always going to be the steward. Taking away my stewardship, this is totally a shock. This takes me by surprise. And this is what happened to the steward when he hears these words, thou mayest be no longer steward. Now, each one of us is like a steward. I mean, God has given us work. God has given us responsibilities to do. And you know, maybe it's to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe it's to visit the sick, bring people to church, many things. But this is what God has given to us to be a steward over. And one day, not because we do anything wrong like this steward in, the, in, in Luke 16, but one day we're going to hear those words and we're going to understand that the message is going to come to us. Thou mayest be no longer steward. And so the best thing we can do is to, to know sooner or later we're going to understand that about us personally. I thought that was being said to me nine years ago in 2010 when I was diagnosed with a stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You all remember, and God, God gave me more time. Was, here I am. Anyway. <laughs> but it was at that time those words became meaningful to me. Thou mayest be no longer steward. It became important. And so that's what drove me to, to get Israel Restoration Ministries going with the summer blitzes and the radio outreaches to reach the Jewish people the gospel. There's nothing like a doctor telling you you have stage four cancer <laughs> to make you hear John 16, 2, thou mayest no longer be steward. So when we read in verse 12 how John was cast into prison, we realize this is the end of John's ministry. In, you know, then it's a time for evaluation. Look back and say, okay, well, you know, how did he do? What's the evaluation of John's life? And there is an evaluation of John's life. It's in Acts 13.25. Acts 13.25, when it just says, John fulfilled his course. When he said, whom think ye that I am, I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes I am not worthy to lose. This is the evaluation of John's life. Very simply put, John fulfilled his course, which means that John had a course. John had a course in life. John could either have fulfilled the course or not fulfilled the course. He had a specific goal God had given to him to accomplish in his life, and he accomplished that goal. Just like the Lord Jesus had a specific goal to accomplish on earth, and this is what makes, makes his final word so important. When the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, it says in our Bibles, it is finished. The Hebrew word asa means to be accomplish, done, accomplished. So really, he said, accomplished, and then he died. So in other words, the Lord Jesus was saying, I accomplished my course. I fulfilled it. I did it. And now, and the Lord Jesus lived in the light of knowing that one day he would know, Luke 16, 2 also, thou mayest no longer be steward. He no longer would be steward of healing in person, in his person, in his flesh, preaching in the flesh, forgiving sins in the flesh on earth. And those were the works that he knew he had a limited time to accomplish. And so he said in John 9, 4, John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So in order for John the Baptist to have it said he fulfilled his course to accomplish his work, he had to first discover what was that course? What was that work? What was that purpose or goal that God had for him to accomplish on earth? 
And in order for us to accomplish our course on life, our course on life is, is not simply to get through to the next day, but God has a specific course for us. He has a specific goal, a specific purpose. And we need to discover what that is. And it's not like we have to look for a needle in the haystack. He wants to show us. And in order for John to have been crowned by, with these words, John fulfilled his course, and that meant that after John knew his course, he had to pursue it. He had to stay focused. And that's true for us. It's not just enough for us to discover what God's life work is for us, what it's been assigned to us, but we gotta pursue it. Don't get sidetracked. Don't stay on the course. And the life work of the Lord Jesus was to, as it says in Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, it says that it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. That was his life work, to bring many sons to glory. He did that by having a sinless life. So he proved that in a sinless life, he was the Lamb of God without blemish. His life on, on earth, he, he summarized it when he told the disciples of John what to report about him. He said in Luke 7.22, Luke 7.22, Jesus answering, said unto them, go your way, tell John what things he hath seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And then he accomplished his goal in his death when he became the atoning sacrifice that opened heaven's doors for sinners, repenting sinners. So the Lord fulfilled this course when he said on the cross, then he said on the cross, accomplished. He meant all of that. And John the Baptist fulfilled his course because he, John the Baptist was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And when the Lord came, John's goal was accomplished when he said, in John one twenty nine, John one twenty nine. the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That was an announcement of the coming of the Lord. That was also an announcement that John's ministry was finished. It was done. And that was the life work of John, was to prepare the people for that day when he said, here he is, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And that was his purpose in life. And to make, to, in order to prepare the people, he had to bring the people to repentance. And so because, it, after all, if he's the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, you gotta have sins. You gotta know you have sins in order to, to avail yourself of him being the Lamb of God. So he brings the people to tears over their sins. I mean, can you imagine these lines that formed to hear John the Baptist? It's made up of crying people, and they're crying over their sins. As a matter of fact, John actually lost his life by trying to bring Herod to repentance when he told them about his sin over marrying his sister-in-law. And that brings us back to the truth that no one is prepared for the Lamb of God to take away his sins unless he's acutely aware of his personal sins. If a person sees their sins as simply mistakes in life, if a person sees their sins as just like everyone, anyone else's sins, that person's not prepared for the Lamb of God to take away his sins because John one twenty nine does not say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the mistakes of the world. And John one twenty nine does not say, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of, which takes away the sins that are no worse than anyone else's sins. The Lamb of God takes away a person's sins only after that person has seen the awfulness of his own sins. He sees his sins as David saw his sins after he raped 
a husband's wife and then murdered the husband. And then David said in repentance in in Psalm 51, 3, Psalm 51, 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, when he said that, that last verse, John, Psalm 51, 5, Psalm 51, 5, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. David was saying that he was saying, I was dirty and rotten from birth. Now that's what real repentance looks like. So, in verse 13, the Lord leaves his hometown of Nazareth and he, and he heads for Galilee to a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is a kind of interesting place because it, it, we don't know very much about it. I mean, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. So probably it's built after the Babylonian captivity. We don't know. Just, it's there. Also. But it's interesting that the Lord Jesus chooses to go there as opposed to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the center of Jewish religious life. He doesn't go there but he goes to Galilee. This is what's told us by Matthew. He goes to Galilee. Now, we know what happened in his hometown of Nazareth, where it says in, in Matthew thirteen fifty four. later on, Matthew thirteen fifty four. it says, he was coming to his own country. He taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished. And they said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brethren James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, his sisters, they are all, not all, they're all with us. Whence then man hath, hath this man all these things? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, The prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, when, when they said, where did he have these things? They were referring to what happened to Pastor Jim and I when we were in Desert Hot Springs one time, and we were driving around visiting the Jews. So we're there in Desert Hot Springs, and there was a group of Orthodox uh, rabbis, and they, you know, with their black robes, their beards, and so forth, and they're walking down the street. And I said to Jim, stop the car, stop the car. I want to go talk to them. So Jim says, you sure you want to do that? I said, yeah, I want to do Stop the car. You know? So I stopped the car. He stops the car. And I go up there and I says, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is the Messiah and he is God. And, you know, I discovered this and, and, you know, I was Jewish and so forth like that. And I kind of really unloaded the whole halo to this group of uh, black clothed rabbis with their beards. And so I remember uh, one of them, after I gave my spiel there, I remember one of them, you know, looked at me at glasses like this. You know, he looked at me down there like this. And he said, uh, uh, I, I didn't catch that. Uh, which yeshiva did you go to? <laughs> and he did it. When he did it, I felt like I was under Niagara Falls and I was hit with a flood of pride and knocked down and I was in shock. And so I walked back and I got in the car and I slammed the door and, and Jim said, how'd it go? <laughs> and I said, I didn't go to the right yeshiva. <laughs> So when they said to him in Nazareth, whence has this man this wisdom? They're really saying, and which yeshiva did he go to? Yeah. And he, he said, okay, I'm leaving. A prophet is not without honor in, in his own country, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Okay, so he leaves Nazareth, and you would have thought that, you know, getting in the door, slam the door, that would have discouraged him, but he doesn't. 
He says, okay, well, I'll go to some other people now. And he goes down to, to Capernaum, which is described as on the coast of the sea, on the sea coast. Now, it's not the Mediterranean Sea. It's the other sea, the Sea of Galilee. And he lives there. We don't know where he lives. Maybe he lives in Simon Peter's house. I don't know. But he lives there for a while. And it's, it's in this region, which is right on the border between the land that was given to him by Joshua for his tribe of Zebulun, Zebulun, and the land that was given by Joshua for the tribe of, of Naphtali. Just so, okay. And when he made his move there, it was a fulfillment, according to verse 14, of the prophecy in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, where it says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as in their first in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the shadow of death, upon them a light shined. So th- this is the passage that's being spoken of in, in Matthew here in, in Isaiah 9. And what it's describing here is a great darkness over the people of Galilee. But it's described here that it's by the way of the sea. It's described both in Matthew and in Isaiah. The way of the sea, by the way of the sea. And what that's really talking about is that it wasn't a poor town. It was a trade route that merchants traveled on. So it was a place of business, and it was, you know, it was a relatively wealthy place. It was, but, but it was also a place of darkness and depression. You know, and today, you have two kinds of people. You have the down and outers, and you have the up and outers. And, you know, and, and downtown, you know, among the homeless, you got the down and outers. And in La Jolla, you got the up and outers. And in Galilee was a place of the up and outers. And in verse 15, we see that it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. And so here it's Galilee of the Gentiles in Matthew 4.15. So that meant that Galilee was a place where Jews were living among Gentiles. You know, in Jerusalem and Judea, there were no Gentiles. It was Jews living among Jews. But here, this is Jews living among Gentiles, Gentiles that brought in their idols, that brought in their false gods. And the fact that the Lord Jesus went to that place so inhabited by both Jews and Gentiles is actually a foretaste of how the gospel is going to later be going to the Gentiles. But he goes to that place, and for all their wealth and all their commerce that they have there in Galilee, in that favored location, so to speak, in verse 16, it says it's a people that sat in darkness, and it's a people that sat in the region and shadow of death, in verse 16. That's a very depressing description. People sitting in darkness, Actually, there's a slight difference between the description of these people in verse 16 of Matthew 4 and what it says in in verse 2 of Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9-2. Because Matthew 4-16 says the people which sat in darkness, but Isaiah 9-2 says the people which walked in darkness. So in Isaiah 9-2, the people are walking. In in Matthew 4-16, the people are sitting in darkness. They're walking in darkness, sitting in darkness. And it shows us how the condition, it sort of seems, you know, you kind of look at the Isaiah, it got worse. You know, in Isaiah, they were walking, and in Matthew, they're sitting. And from walking in darkness to sitting in darkness, it's really a state of depression. It reminds me of this existentialist novel I had to read in high school, On Attendant Godot, Waiting for Godot which is really a story of two people who are sitting in a state of depression in this room waiting for this person, Godot, who never comes. Anyway, it's the picture of people here who are sitting in darkness. And really, 
anyone without the Lord Jesus is really in a state of darkness. And this is what the Lord said in Matthew 6.23, Matthew 6.23, when he said, if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that be in thee is darkness, how great is that darkness? He said that. Great is that darkness. And the problem with the great darkness is that the people who are in, in great darkness are in great danger because it's the danger of dying in this darkness, of dying in their sins, of, of dying in the state of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I guess I'll find out after I die. It's dying in this state of, uh, I don't know, nobody knows. I guess I'll find out. It's dying in, in their sins and be cast forever into a state of uh, unending pain, unending suffering in hell. And so this darkness that they're sitting in there is described in verse 16 as sitting in the region and shadow of death. Now, when you're sitting down and your back is to someone, but that person approaches you from behind, you don't see the person, but you see the shadow. As the shadow gets bigger, you know the person is closer, and you know the person's going to arrive. You don't know when, but you see the shadow. And this is how these people are described. They're in the shadow of death. Death is coming behind them. They don't know when it's going to come, but they know it's coming because the shadow is being cast over them. And this really description of life without the Lord Jesus for everyone. You know, at first in life, there's the energy, there's the youth, there's the strength. There's no knowledge of God and of his Christ, but there's just an exhilaration with the work that needs to be done and the work that I can do and then the work that's accomplished and the, work, and the fulfillment of it all. And there's an active mind. There's an active, healthy mind that can see, that can plan, that has vision, and then there's a strong body to do. But as with our 80-year-old neighbor who doesn't know God also, when the mind begins to slip and there's no more an ability to see and plan, you can't even remember where you put the keys, much less to drive a car. And then the body weakens where there's no more strength to do. That's a transition from walking in darkness to sitting in darkness and seeing that shadow of death so that's right behind. It's a description of the state of Anyone, everyone who's without the Lord. It's a description of anyone without the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminds me of my friend who's the director of the Irving Place Dialysis Clinic at Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. And he was telling me that a number of his patients are women who grew up in the hippie period, you know, without God. And now, you know, the kidneys have given out and they have, they're on dialysis. And now they have the wonderful disease with the title of end stage renal disease. How do you like that one, you know? End stage at the end of the road. And they call him, and they're terrified of dying because they don't have God. They're in darkness, and they're sitting in the shadow of death, and the shadow of death is creeping behind them. And this is the people that the Lord Jesus chose to go to. And when he went to them, in verse 16, it says that it was like light sprung up. It just sprung up out of nowhere, the Lord Jesus comes as a great light, just as he's described in Malachi 4.2. Malachi 4.2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. For this people, the light didn't just gradually came. It sprang up like being in a dark room, and all of a sudden there's this bright light. It was dazzling for the people. It was not just a light, but in verse 16 it says it was a great light. It was a great light, like a morning light. 
Okay, so next week we'll see what the Lord said to these people as he came as the great light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son into our darkness, Lord, into our depression, and for, for being that great light to us. We pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, help us to walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at FriendshipWithGod.org, Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 